Welcome to 15 Minutes of Mental Toughness with your host, Dr. Rob Bell. Dr. Rob interviews expert coaches, executives, and athletes about mental toughness and their hinge moments. The hinge. It connects who we are with who we become, and it only takes one. And now for your host, Dr. Rob. but it actually will even change the destination for me to a better destination. Imagine if your Magellan worked this way, you're trying to get to Disneyland and you miss an exit and it reroutes you, but it says, you know what? Magic Mountain is better today than Disneyland. There's no lines and it's cheaper and it takes you to Magic Mountain. That's what faith does because there is a greater source that comes through all of us, not one of us, all of us at all times. We interfere with it, that's the problem. Hey, this is Dr. Rob Bell. If you want a free ebook, The Best Mental Toughness Quotes That Will Make You Better, just text Dr. Rob Bell, that's D R R O B B E L L, to this number, 33444. You'll get it downloaded right away. Are you one of nearly 7 in 10 Americans who doesn't feel fully rested when the alarm clock rings? Do you dread your mornings? Let's change that. Psalm Sleep is a drug-free, non-habit-forming sleep drink in a small can that can help save your nights from tossing and turning. Find out for yourself at getsom.com and stop dreading your alarm. Psalm Sleep, it gives you Z's. So our guest today is co-founder of Sports One Marketing, former CEO of Lee Steinberg Sports Entertainment Agency. He's a three-time international best-selling author, top 100 business coach, host of the entrepreneur podcast, The Playbook. Our guest is executive producer of Bloomberg and Amazon television series, Two Minute Drill. It's a fantastic show. He's also the executive producer of Entrepreneur's number one digital business show, Elevator Pitch. Additionally, he is the chairman of Unstoppable Foundation, which builds sustainable education in schools and communities in developing country. His life's mission is to empower people to empower people wants to reach over 1 billion people to be happy. And we will be giving away our listeners after this show here, 10 copies of his books connected to goodness. His motto is help a lot of people, make a lot of money and have fun. Excited for our guest today, Dave Meltzer. Dave, how are you, buddy? I'm amazing, Rob. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. So I, after following you for a while, I have to start out with this. Since I was a big Tecmo Bowl fan back in the early 90s, Warren man. Moon, Tecmo Bowl, right? <laughs> well, Warren Moon was fantastic. The question I want to ask, man, was what was it like actually tackling the Nigerian nightmare in Krishna Koye? Well, you give me far too much credit when you say tackling because I very first play in college was the bullet on the kickoff team. And I broke through the, the wall back when they were allowed to have those. And I nailed that guy right in his thighs. Next thing I know, I was flying literally backwards and he stepped on me and kept on running. So uh, for me, it was more, what does it feel like to get run over by the Nigerian nightmare? I joke around when I was lying on my back freshman year in college thinking I was going to be a professional football player. Player. After getting run over by the Nigerian nightmare, Christian Okoye, I was saying 
doctor, lawyer, or failure. That was my only mission. <laughs> I love it, man. That means you remember the Tecmo Bowl, but how good he was during that? Everyone, when you brought up Tecmo Bowl, it was so funny. Is like people normally bring up Warren because he was the best quarterback in yeah. Tecmo Bowl. And uh, so that's the first time someone's asked me about Christian, but I'm a big Tecmo Bowl player. So I, I used to run with him, it, you use him. So I he was awesome. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, him and... Bo Jackson. Yeah, Bo, Bo Jackson, man, that was yeah. it. You know, Bo Jackson would just throw everybody off. And that was All like real life. Like, what the heck's tech mobile? <laughs> yeah, it's awesome, man. Um, man, I want to start out. So the two-minute drill, you co-host with with Jason Waller. It's the second season. Man, what what is your favorite part of that show? Well, first of all, the favorite part is season two that we were, you know, so popular season one, the pilot became an actual season. So the first pilot 30 minutes became a season partly because of covid and they needed content on bloomberg and amazon and we we hurried it but my favorite part of two minute drill season two is the vignettes so because we have an hour now we're able to give the background the b-roll you know the reasons that people got involved with their business the emotional attachment we get you really close so that you actually now really want to root you know, and cheer or, or, or jeer for the person pitching. And it really adds a whole nother component. Now, the first season's good. It's educational, um, but there isn't as much emotional attachment as more a little bit game showy and educational where season two is truly a great TV show with B roll and music and all the things that we wanted to do. So I really encourage people uh, to check out two minute drill season two, which will be coming out this summer. Absolutely, man. I mean, when you when you hear these pitches, I mean, how how much does that stimulate your creativity? Oh my goodness, all the time. You know, I'm blessed to be a business coach. I have, you know, huge groups that I coach. I do one-on-one, I do business consulting, I have three, you know, different TV shows. And every time I do an interview or hear a pitch, my mind starts learning. You know, I think curiosity is a superpower. I think a lot of people don't utilize it enough because we have so much technology around us that is deafening the ears of curiosity and creativity. I wish more people would read, you know, science fiction because I think even technology is, like I said, accelerated past what our imaginations can think of. And, you know, that's a, a bad position to be in. I'm completely practicing every day by having these shows and listening to pitch and doing these interviews. Uh, this is the catalyst of creativity and curiosity, which to me are superpowers for the future that are going to set not only me, but I think my children and their children apart from the majority of people in, in the world. Amen. I mean, you always talk about, and I love the line, right? I mean, be more interested than interesting. That's my and, favorite. Yeah. I'm, I, I'm, I try to go by, man, listen and learn rather than talk and tell. You nailed it, man. It's, uh, it's a lesson I had to learn throughout my career. I always say there's three kinds of listeners. And you'll start when you pragmatically tell you about this, you're going to see this. One, there's the interrupter, right? There's the person that cannot just help themselves. You start teaching or, you know, exploring and, and collaborating and they just interrupt you, tell you what they think. Then there's the more dangerous listener, which I call the waiter. And what the waiter does is they sit there and pretend like they're listening and learning, 
but instead they're just waiting to tell you what they think. So they're a little bit more polite <laughs> than the interrupter, but same effect and impact. But then you have the people like you, the, the true listeners and learners, the people that are seeking the light out of everything, seeking the love and seeking the lessons, because that's how we expand, grow and accelerate. And if we can utilize that, I always call faith combined with those lessons, my GPS, meaning that I set a destination to go to, then all these setbacks, pain, failures, mistakes occur, and then faith and lessons reroute me to a better place, a better position. It actually not only gives me a better route, but it might even give me a better destination. You know, because I don't want to jump ahead, but I want to talk about this, those two currencies you talk about, especially faith here in a second. But I mean, you know, this is a show about hinge moments, you know, and mental toughness. So that one moment person event that makes all the difference in our lives connects who we are with, with who we're going to become. And I wanted to ask you specifically about a couple. And, and that was why I wanted you on the show so much. I mean, your dad left at age five. So you watch your mom do it all. I mean, your, your brothers and sisters all went to Ivy league schools, uber successful. And then at age 24, right. You had that offer for the internet. And your mom, you go to your mom and you, and you ask the decision, you know, be in tech or, quote, be a real lawyer. You know, and, and you said, right, just because someone loves you doesn't mean it's great advice. Can you talk to us about that? Yeah, you know, I spend a majority of my life up until that point trying to please those people who love me most. And I think a lot of people do, especially when the people who love you most have sacrificed so much for you. And yet you attribute too much credibility and knowledge to them uh, by allowing them to guide you in areas that they don't have any knowledge. And so my mom, who would lie in front of a bus for me today still, and pretty much has uh, when I was a child, just to empower my, me and my siblings to be who we are, she was a second grade teacher who worked two jobs and had no idea about business. She had never made any money or kept any money her entire life. And yet, because she cared about me, she wanted the stability. And so she gave me advice of what she knew, which was doctor, lawyer, or failure. And so terrified about something called the internet in 1992, she gave me that advice. Now, for the first time in my life, I made the decision to do what I wanted to do. Now, like anyone else, it wasn't as courageous as it sounds because I could hedge my bet because my mom had uh, instilled in me and motivated me and inspired me to become educated, to have many options, uh, many skill sets, much knowledge from graduating top of my class at law school, being an oil and gas litigator, that you know what hinge decision it was, was partially enabled by the fact that I had options and I was able to mitigate my risk because of those options. So sometimes, when we're at the bottom and we have no other choice, that's one place to make a hinge decision because you have nothing to lose. Well, if you have the opposite side where you have nothing to lose because you have so many options, meaning if I failed at the internet, I could always go back and be an oil and gas litigator and make six figures and have a wonderful legal career. They weren't going to be able to take that away from me. And so I think it's important when people make hinge decisions to see what capabilities they have, because to me, the two easiest ways to make a decision is one, where you have nothing to lose, 
right? Those are, you're really courageous. Well, really? Because I had nothing to lose. Like I slept in my car. Yeah, because you had nothing to lose. Right. You had nowhere else to go, bro. But you did it. No no offense. But Dave Meltzer, same thing. Oh my gosh, I can't believe, you know, he took that risk. Yeah, but I had nothing to lose. Because if I failed, I could go back onto all the hard work and, and preparation that I put into being an oil and gas litigator. What, and if I can just delve into that just a little bit further, man, what else advice, like if someone's coming to you that and they do have a lot to lose, right? But they're, they, they have that passion and you talk about that passion being greater than your pain and they want to do that. What advice do you have for them then if, if they have things to lose and just aren't willing to risk it? And don't do it. You know, right. you don't do it. I, if you're not willing, my, one of my favorite movies, The Greatest Showman, right? P.T. Barnum's story uh, or Carl Fisher's story, the man who was, uh, the you know, made the Indy 500, South Beach, Montauk. But he was the richest man on earth three times, Carl Fisher. But he went bankrupt in between twice, right? Richest man on earth, bankrupt, richest man on earth, bankrupt, richest man on earth. That's somebody that gets stuff done because he's willing to to lose it all. And that's my favorite line from that movie is, you know, his little protege is like, PT, you could lose it all. You know, don't do this. And he said, hey, that's how I got here. Right. That's how you get there. If you if you're all in and you have the desire that you must be what you can be, then in other words, you have nothing to lose because you have nothing, nothing to lose if you're all in. You, you, those people who are willing to go all in like myself, because I think the more courageous thing was when I went all in later on in life and had over a hundred million dollars in assets and went all in uh, and lost it all. Then I just had the confidence that, are you kidding me? I was a millionaire nine months out of law school. I didn't know anyone. I had a hundred thousand dollars of loans. I didn't know anything about business where I'm at today. No problem. And even today now, I have no fear because I am confident in my capabilities. I have that faith that we're going to talk about later of currency, but I also have a lot of dummy tax, situational knowledge, relationship capital to fall back on. Hey there, good looking. If you're digging this podcast and check out our book, Puke and Rally, it's not about the setback, it's about the comeback. Just go to pukeandrallybook.com. Now back to the show. Fast forward a little bit, right? Between ages 36, 38, another hinge moment I'd like to bring up. I mean, you're living it, man. You're, you're running across access to everything, right? SBs, Oscars, private jets, the masters, and your best friend, Rob. And you ask him, man, do you want to go to the masters with me? Which I've been there, man. It's like heaven on earth, except tougher to get into. And he, and he says, not a chance. I mean, walk <laughs> us through that, man. I will, my God's got it. I hear every one liner about the masters. It's the it's tougher to get into than heaven. I love that. It's, like that one, yeah. it's heaven on earth and it's tougher to get into. It's so true. And every year I've been on 22 years in a row and it's the best event ever. But so Rob was a huge golf fan. I've known him since the fourth grade. He actually asked my wife for me at sixth grade camp to go steady. Uh, and she said no. And then he embarrassed me. It's like, dude, she said no. She said, tell me himself. You know, I'm like, shoot. Anyway, Rob was the first person that gave me uh, a no, right? At that time in my life, all my relatives, all my friends, 
they gave me yes as an answer. And there's a great book by Steve Hertz that's called Don't Take Yes for an Answer, written by an entertainment agent about how that's the downfall of so many people when everybody just tells you yes because they're manipulating, lying, cheating, and overselling you so they can get what they want off of you. Um, I was no greater than any athlete or entertainer. I was getting yes for an answer from everyone, so I would give them what I could. Rob stood up to me, and it, and it hurt. I mean, I'm telling you, I left crying. I couldn't understand it. I said, Rob, what do you mean no way? Like no chance. I Literally, we can go first class, all access to the masters. He said, Dave, I don't like who you hang out with and what you're doing. So I don't want to be around it. I said, what are you, I'm not doing what those guys are doing, Rob. What are you talking about? And he said, Dave, you can lie to me, but don't lie to yourself. And man, it was like a spear into my chest because I knew that he was right, that I had been lying to myself so much about the things I was doing, the people I'd surround myself with, all the chances I was taking, my health, all the things I was putting at risk. And no more than two weeks later was the catalyst or the hinge moment that you know was precursored by Rob giving me that wake up call that I may not be who I think I am. You discuss wrong people, wrong ideas, wrong situations. Can you continue that that story and, and, and talk about where sure. it went? So, you know, two weeks later, um, I asked my wife if I could go to the Grammy Awards <laughs> with a good friend of mine, Little John, the rapper. And, uh, you know, kind of a bucket list thing, right? Grammy Awards with Little John sounds cool. My wife, you know, told me, hey, I don't think you should go. You're not paying attention to your family. You're not paying attention to the business. And you are partying way too much and I'm worried. That's about as hard as my wife ever came at me, right? I'm like, okay. So of course I lie to her. I change my clothes in the car, tell her I have a business meeting and I go to the Grammy Awards. And my buddy that I went with, with Little John, promised me I'd be home by midnight. Well, because we were partying too hard and having too much fun, uh, I end up coming home at 5.30, ignoring the calls and the texts of my wife. So when I came home at 5.30 in the morning, my wife was waiting there. You know, we had this beautiful Rancho Santa Fe home with all the glass, you know, in, in the, 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 the doors you could see through. And there she was, her five-foot silhouette. And my friend actually said, you, you want to come home with me? So he knew I was in big trouble. But when I walked in, I was in bigger trouble than I ever imagined. Because for the first time, my wife told me she wasn't happy, told me she was going to leave me, told me I better take stock in who I was and what I wanted to become, or not only was she leaving, but I'd end up dead. Now, at that moment, I was living in blame, shame, and justification, right? I was living below the line, so I just blamed her. What are you talking about? Look around you. Are you kidding me? Where's your gratitude? You'd be nothing without me. I make all the right, this, all this nonsense. Anyway, I went to bed. I woke up in the same mindset and you know, literally was, I, I was under the belief money bought love and happiness. So I was going to take her, her money. <laughs> and I was thinking about as a lawyer, who do I know? And how can I figure this out? And then I looked over in the closet and you had mentioned my dad had left at five. Well, at 30, my dad had given me a birthday present. And there it was years later staring at me. And it was a jacket. It was a jacket with no pockets, a jacket that my dad and I got in a huge argument about because I told him that he was punishing me by giving me the first birthday gift in 20 years, a jacket I couldn't wear. And he had told me, David, money doesn't buy love. This jacket is to hang in your closet to remind you that you can't take anything with you when you're gone, that money will not buy you love and it will not buy you happiness. 
somehow as the universe conspires in our favor, when you have this intention and attention, uh, there that jacket was, and I just stared at it. And I slowly but surely realized, man, I don't hate my dad. I don't hate my wife. I hate myself, right? I'm the liar. I'm the cheater. I'm the manipulator, the overseller, the back-end seller. I'm everything I hate about everybody else that always bothers me and standing on my pedestals, creating separation of superiority with in the context of business and personal relationships, judgments and conditions and projections of my own hate and self-loathing. And I just sat there crying until I listen to that, take stock in who you are, take stock in who you are. And I grabbed old school pencil and paper and I started thinking, how did I build this extraordinary life that I've taken for granted? How have I built it? And that's when I came up with these four key pillars, these four values that I have practiced and got better at over the last 16 years that not only helped me go through losing over $100 million, not only reconnecting with my wife, not only being a better father, not only making more money and helping more people than I ever have, but being happier than I ever imagined with all of that because of simply these four values, which I then created five daily practices to make sure that I'm consistent and persistently enjoying the pursuit of my potential through these. Gratitude, empathy, accountability, and communication, man. I mean, I, I, I want to go into all of them, right? I mean, I want to talk about all of them. And you, and you talk about all of them all the time, man. I mean, how powerful is the gratitude piece? Yeah. You know, I tell people the easiest way to change your life takes 0.1 seconds a day. And it's to say thank you before you go to bed and when you wake up. Everybody laughs at me and says, yeah, yeah, yeah. And they agree with me. Even the greatest thought leaders that you know I've been blessed to be around. I actually even sit on the Transformational Leadership Council with Bob Proctor and Jack Canfield and Reverend Beckwith and Lisa Nichols and Sharon Lecter and Mary Morrissey. And the list goes on and on, right? I can't even name as many people. Deepak Chopra, Oprah Winfrey, they all agree. Gratitude is the most powerful thing. But yet... To do it for 30 straight days is almost an impossibility, let alone an improbability. It took me focused in on it, teaching it nine months before I didn't miss a day or a night. It took me nine months before I could complete that task, even though I've surrounded myself with the greatest thought leaders, even though I've studied physics, metaphysics, and quantum physics, even though I had every scientific, spiritual, pragmatic proof that gratitude's so powerful, the ability to find the light, the love, and the lessons and everything, the ability to have the most positive perspective that can create and manifest all that we desire. All of that being true, I still couldn't do it. And neither could most people. In fact, I asked most people who here thinks they can do it. They all raise their hand. And then I say, you know what the sad thing? By tonight, half of you won't do it. By tomorrow morning, another half of you won't do it. Within three days, Almost all of us can't do it. And that's proven statistically. I offer my free book and still will. I will sign my book. I will ship it to you. I will pay for everything. If you can go ahead and say thank you for 30 straight days, you don't got to prove it to me. Just be honest. Say thank you before you go to bed and when you wake up. Go ahead, email me, david at dmelzer.com. I will pay for shipping, send you a free book. But even more than my free book, your life will change, guaranteed. Um. With Jocko Willick, man, for some reason this happened is, you know, I'm again, I'm a 4.30 a.m. guy, and that's when I get my workouts done. 
And I, I like to get after it, man. I run a lot of long distances. But every time that I'm going and I'm reaching for the ice, that ice right there becomes my reminder right there. And that's the time. And I'm taking that ice and putting it in my drink. That's my reminder of like, man, this is because not everybody has ice. And I've been in those races before where you don't have ice and it's it's tough, man. And that's that's my reminder for me for that gratitude. That's so funny because I take, uh, not just because of Wim Hof, I started taking cold showers. Oh, yeah. Uh, and then the very end of the cold shower, I'll, he, I'll, he, I'll put heat on me to remind me not only how blessed I am to have hot water, right, but to feel the difference, right? And I know that cold showers are healthier too, so I get that benefit, but it, it's the same reminder to me to start my day that the simplest things, you know, if taken when I think, you know, it's important with the pandemic for people to realize 2020 for this very reason, when the entire world had to, for the first time, question their existence all at once, everybody on earth at the exact same time had to question their existence for the first time altogether, that the year 2020 was a year of reflection. Now the year 2021 is a year of decisions. And if you haven't taken inventory, a grateful inventory of all the things Toilet paper, hot water, electricity, uh, the ability to go outside, uh, you know, <laughs> to hug, hug your mom. Uh, if you cannot have some sort of plateau of gratitude after what we've been through, you're, you're missing the point. This was a year of reflection. Grab onto something and remind yourself every day. Wow, am I blessed. This is extraordinary. The time that I'm living, the place that I'm living, and the health that I have. Remember, health to me uh, is the most important thing. My best piece of advice to everyone is spend a minimum of an hour a day on your health seven days a week. Because if you are healthy, you get thousands of wishes a day. You get thousands of them. If you are unhealthy, you only get one wish. Get healthy. You got it. Why, do you, why is it so tough to be ego. grateful? Ego, ego, ego. And the, it's not just the ego itself, the primary, primal ego that, you know, when our body is, is fearful that we have to flee, fight, feed, or the other F word that Gary Vee likes to use. Uh, freeze? Yeah. Freeze. <laughs> uh, but more importantly, it's the triggers of the ego. That make it so difficult. See, what happens is we trigger that ego. And when the ego is triggered, blood leaves our brain. It takes about 90 seconds. Blood leaves our brain into our body so we can fight, so we can flee, so we can feed, you know, all in, in the other. But blood leaves. So what happens is you, you get these triggers, the need to be offended. That's a big trigger for me. Oh my God, need to be offended. I now have allowed somebody to steal my joy through their own experience or journey. Because I'm now offended by it. Something they said, something they did. Most of the times the things they said and did are things that I hate about myself. Forget that. But meanwhile, I've now triggered, triggered my primary ego. So the blood is leaving my brain. Now I'm making critical business and life decisions without any blood in my brain. And I'm wondering why I end up in a really bad place. Wasting time, emotion, resources, energy, money. Why? Because I have to learn to identify those triggers to get out of my own way so that I can clear the interference between me and what you're talking about, the truth. So if I'm in gratitude, I got to remember, number one, I am healthy, I am wealthy, and I am happy. 
what am I doing to interfere with that health, wealth, and happiness? Well, these are the triggers that create the interference between me and what I already am and what I already have. Because I live in a world of more than enough of everything than everyone. I live in a world of abundance. I live in a world where my GPS is my faith that not only will it provide me better directions when I have mistakes and failures and pain, but it actually will even change the destination for me to a better destination. Imagine if you're Magellan worked this way, you're trying to get to Disneyland and it, you miss an exit and it reroutes you, but it says, you know what? Magic Mountain is better today than Disneyland. There's no lines and it's cheaper and it takes you to Magic Mountain. That's what faith does because there is a greater source that comes through all of us, not one of us, all of us at all times. We interfere with it. That's the problem. You you talk about the second currency because you mentioned two currencies and the, and the importance of the second currency actually being faith. And I always say a lot of times like faith isn't really faith until it's all you've got. But we take that a step further, man. Walk us through that journey. Well, first, let's define currency, right? Currency yeah. is an object of energy that we put into the flow, into the universe to get what we want. It's a currency. That's what faith is to me. It's the object of energy that I put into the flow when mistakes, failures, setbacks, setups, pain occurs. They're indicators that I need to have faith to move in a better place, a better direction, to a better situation. The other currency is on this world here. It's called money. Money is an object of energy that we put into the flow to get what we want. And most people can't blend those two. They don't understand that you need both. Uh, that the more money you have, the more time and opportunity you have, and the more faithful you are. And so I think it's really important. In fact, you yourself, when you were quoting me, you said, help a lot of people, make a lot of money, and have a lot of fun. I actually put it in the order of make a lot of money so you can help a lot of people and have a lot of fun. Most people have a problem uh, in worthiness or receiving, which I had, which limits or creates a thermostat of what we want. When you realize if your intention is to help others, what better way to help others on earth than to be richer than Jeff Bezos or Alien Musk? I mean, Elon Musk, right? What better way than to receive more than they have? Because if your pure intention is to help other people, what better way on earth is there to help other people than to make a lot of money? Because people say, oh, you could volunteer, you know, like my mom was a second grade teacher and she, great. Then let me make a shitload of money, excuse my language, and hire a thousand of my moms. Because as far as I know, I'll do a thousand times the good. And by doing so, I am a firm believer that money is a currency equal to faith on this earth. And we need to blend the ability to receive and attract abundance to come through us with appreciation, forgiveness, accountability, and inspiration, effective communication to others. See, there's three worlds in this currency. One, the world of not enough. The world of not enough is not just on one currency, but both. Everything happens to you and you're a victim. There's not enough of anything for anyone. There's You always are fighting for more. No matter, I, I know people who have $40 million houses that live in this world, both with both currencies, money and faith. They live in the world of not enough. Then you have the world that uh, I lived in for a long time, which I call the world of just enough. It's an optimistic world, a philanthropic world, 
just enough for me. I'm going to give to others to receive, giving as a negotiation for acknowledgement and recognition or trading. Uh, but it's still a limited world of just enough for me. Now, when you can use these currencies to enter a world of more than enough, more than enough of everything for everyone, an abundant world, and truly have faith and the money to execute on this ability of abundance, wow, this is where I live my life every day. There's enough of everything for everyone. There's more than enough. I don't put limitations on myself. I spend minutes and moments creating interference with the triggers and the ego instead of days, weeks, months, and years, and wondering why I'm not in the place that I want to be in after doing the right things, saying the right things, believing the right things. I now am cognizant and practicing, utilizing the values, gratitude, forgiveness, accountability, and inspiration, effective communication, and the five daily practice of knowing your what, knowing your who, knowing your how, knowing your now, and then knowing your why. When an individual has success, and I know it's tough to kind of pigeonhole this, but where do you see most people then have um, issues when, when they start to have success? Where do, where do most people get tripped up? Worthiness. So most people don't feel worthy of what they receive. Uh, and so they start surrounding themselves with the wrong people and the wrong ideas. They start uh, self-sabotaging and spiraling the success that they have, creating interferences, voids, and shortages uh, because they've limited themselves by the success that they've had and the worthiness issues are still there that, you know, and I had this is a big problem. Uh, in fact, I always tease people. I do a lot of coaching coaches and executives. And I, I always say your go-to, if you don't know what's going on, just tell the other person, Hey, you have worthiness issues. Almost everyone will choke up and go, how'd you know? Oh my God, you're the best coach ever. You're the best executive ever. I don't feel worthy. Of course not. That's what's creating the limitation in the interference. And sometimes that becomes more prevalent and present when we're successful. The other thing that happens too with most people that are successful is the first time they reach success, it's because they've attached their emotions to an outcome, right? They're so focused, attention plus intention equals coincidence. That's why I call the mathematical equation of luck. Attention plus intention equals coincidence. Well, for me, I'm classic. Right? I want to be rich to buy my mama a house in a car. I get rich, buy my mama a house in a car, and then I realize, wait a second, emotionally this isn't fulfilling. I have attached my emotions to an end that's not going to fulfill it. Whereas if I, like today, attach my emotions, enjoying the consistent, everyday, persistent, without quit pursuit of my potential, not what other people want for me, not what's missing or not what I don't want, which are the three common things that most people make the mistake of attaching their emotions to, what other people want for them, what they don't want or what's missing. And then they end up with other people want what's missing or that they don't want and they're surprised. Don't be. Pay attention and give intention to the journey, the enjoyment of the consistent, persistent pursuit of your potential. And don't be afraid of changing your mind. Dave, I've got two more questions. Number one, you talk about your purpose is greater than your pain. When I was researching every Super Bowl champion, something stood out to me because when Brett Favre won the Super Bowl trophy, very emotional player, as we know, holds it up and he says, is that it? 
And I started researching. I was like, like, what do you mean? Is that it? Like, that's the best feeling, right? The Super Bowl trophy, you're holding that up. And he talked about, and you mentioned this, he didn't want it to be over. Now, obviously, no one's ever going to say that losing the Super Bowl is better than winning the Super Bowl, but he didn't want it to end. And at that moment, he looked back on the practical jokes he played on coach, the time when they were down 24-10 and they were able to come back, right, and, and, and beat the Oilers. And the process is greater than the product. The amount of time that people spend to try and climb Mount Everest as opposed to the time they're actually spending on top of Mount Everest. Talk to us about that, the process being more important than the product. Absolutely. And, you know, this is the buildup of all that we have to learn to love what we do. One of the biggest mistakes that people make is they say, I want to do what I love. You know, people give advice, do, do what you love and you'll never work a day in your life. First of all, there's only activity you get paid for an activity you don't get paid for. There is no work. You create that resistance in your life. But the key is, can I learn to love everything I do? Right? Imagine can I learn to love everything? It's a Viktor Frankl approach, man's search of meaning. Uh, you give meaning to everything you see, taken from the Course in Miracles. The power of mindset, heart set, and the conscious continuum will allow us to be fulfilled and purposeful, passionate, and profitable every day if we focus in on doing our best, plateauing and growing, being our higher selves, learning to love everything you do. So that's why it's so important to me in order to have that mindset and heart set so that I can, before I do it, learn to love it. So that everything I do is enjoyable. And that all those uh, goals, like winning a Super Bowl, is just a milestone, right? It's just a milestone. There is a difference between those people. And this is what makes, I think, Tom Brady so great, is that he didn't just attach his emotions to an outcome. He you know, as he got older, it became something new, his journey, right? I want to be able to play till I'm 50. Uh, I want to be the best player I can be over 44 or 45 or 46. Each time it becomes a new journey for him to enjoy the pursuit of it, to be the higher self, the best self that we can be. And if you can enjoy every day and, you know, when you start learning to love what you do, it's easier to be consistent. It's easier to be persistent. Uh, time to me should be studied by everyone. I think if there's two courses that Dave Meltzer could teach worldwide, it would be number one, a happiness course. I think Yale just picked up on my idea and they started teaching it. Uh, but I would have a happiness course, which I do every Friday for free. As you know, I teach happiness it's called the road to revenue and happiness. It's free. Join me, David at dmeltzer.com. But I also would have a time course. But not in the context of teaching physics, like a common man made, I'd probably call it the man made construct of time. And what I would do is teach people how to utilize focus and refocus for time, how to be a student of your calendar, to utilize productivity, accessibility and gratitude for time, how to learn to love what you do to utilize your time, all the different things that most people create resistance in their lives that have the capability of changing your entire existence. Remember, uh, I had the Sadhguru on my podcast. One of my, I'm a big fan of the Sadhguru. And one of the best things that he told me in the, in the, the guy check out the podcast is coming out probably next week. He said, two ways to live a long life. And I'm thinking, whoa, you know, here comes the grand guru. This is going to be awesome, right? A yogi's guide to my infinity, right. my eternity. And he said, first, 
be miserable. I was like, what? what? This, this is great genius. Yeah, he's like, if you're miserable, your life will last a long time. <laughs> I thought that was genius. And then the second thing was be productive, right? When you're providing value and service to others, your life lives a long time in two different realms, the literal realm and the theoretical spiritual realm. Uh, and I think, you know, those type of wise words about time need to be taught effectively, things that people can implement in a pragmatic and spiritual sense so that they're utilizing the man-made construct of time to be as productive, provide value service, accessible to others, to be connected to and through, and also gracious, to be able to find the light, the love, and the lessons in everything you do. Activity you get paid for, activity you don't get paid for, and even your sleep. It's awesome, man. I um I love both those Victor Frankel and the Course in Miracles because I'm in it for the miracles, man. Me too. I'm in it I'll for the miracles. My last my last question, Dave, man. I really appreciate the time. I'm going to put all those links on there. What questions should I be asking that that I'm not asking? Yeah, um, the question I would ask is, what's the number one lesson? What's the number one takeaway from this interview that people should have? Please, I think. Just to remind everyone, if you're going to take the time to listen to a podcast, if you're going to take the time to read a book, if you're going to take the time, please reposit lessons and stories. Put it somewhere. Just even if it's one lesson, one takeaway, get you'll be amazed how your life will change if you don't just think you're learning, but you actually reposit it so that you remember, oh my God, I spent the greatest 45 minutes, you know, with Rob and Dave. And then you see, I have people wait an hour in line when one of my speeches, like that changed my life. And I'm like signing a book. So what was your number one takeaway? Uh, so the question that I always ask at an end is, you know, what's the number one takeaway or lesson people can have? And it's very simple to me. Be kind to your future self and do good deeds. So if you're not where you want to be, I get choked up thinking about it because this is my mission. But if you're not where you want to be, Go do a good deed. If you are anxious, frustrated, angry, depressed, if you're not feeling, if you're even suicidal, not only go seek professional help, but I promise you, go do a good deed. Go pick up trash, go help somebody cross the street, return. I promise you, there's a higher vibration, a higher frequency in being of service and value of doing something good. And this is why I wrote the book, Connected to Goodness. This is why you're giving away the book, Connected to Goodness. But please remember to yourself, if you're not where you want to be, then be kind to your future self where you want to be and just do good deeds. I promise you, everything will come to you rapidly and accurately. Dave, thanks so much for your time, man. Um, man, I can't wait to go back and listen to this one because this is really fantastic. But thank you so much, man. A real blessing to be on here. You're a blessing. I appreciate you. I appreciate everyone. Please uh, include my links for my books, guys, exercises, and trainings for free. I, anybody I can help, I'm of service. And Rob, anytime I can do anything for you, please let me know. Thank you, sir. You got it. Take care. Thank you for listening to the Mental Toughness Podcast. If you like what you heard today, please be sure to subscribe to our podcast. You can also check us out on Twitter at Dr. Rob Bell or visit our website at drrobbell.com.